Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in youth ministry for a number of years and have seen just about everything, but we haven't seen what we're talking about today in the way that we're talking about it, have we, Matt? We, we absolutely haven't talked about it on this show about this. Now, sadly, we have seen it in the church and dealt with it in the church for some time, but we haven't talked about it on this episode. And I think it's a perfect time to talk about it, especially here in Texas. Good. Yeah. So we have with us Alan Bear. Hi, Alan. Hello. So what we're talking about today is actually uh, the, the clergy abuse crisis. In fact, in uh, all the dioceses in Texas uh, yesterday, uh, we record and then it gets displayed, but they released the names of those who have been credibly accused of abusing minors. And actually, we have um, Alan Bear here, and he he's a volunteer in our youth program. He does a number of different ministries, um, very faithful in the church, father of nine, and uh, excellent, excellent. Um, his, his daughter babysits my kids. I mean, like, there's just this intertwinement. But I found out recently that uh, the he himself was a victim of clergy abuse, and he has kind of a unique perspective because he desires faithfulness in the church, but also desires kind of the healing to take place. And I believe that Alan um, is currently an instrument in that healing, not just for himself, but for others as well. So Alan, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about your story. Ah, well, so again, I do have, have nine children. Uh, I've been married to my wife for 28 years. Uh, I attended Catholic schools all of my life. Yeah. I mean, I've been a Catholic my whole life and it's something that I, uh, I guess I didn't take as seriously just like many Catholics, you, know, you go through that period where you're just kind of being youthful and, and not as involved in the church. Um, when I met my wife, one of the things that really drew me to her was her faith, along with, with her family and the way that they lived it out. It was kind of stood in a little bit of stark contrast to my own family life. Now, in the midst of growing up, we met a priest uh, while my family was vacationing um, back when I was about 12 years old. And he befriended the family and uh, convinced me to engage in a, a very inappropriate sexual relationship with him that he talked about as being good and right and that my parents wouldn't understand and even the church wouldn't understand because they had rules, but that he knew better mm. and he was going to make sure that I was not that Puritan, right? That was his manipulation. That is how he groomed me. So I have that in my past, <laughs> and yet today we had those nine children. Um, half of them are out of the house already, and my wife and I, in addition to my day job as working in, in uh, cybersecurity, we have a ministry to families to help families grow in holiness, grow closer to each other and closer to the Lord. And kind of looking at all of this together, you know, how has the Lord led me from attending Catholic schools all my life? to being a victim of abuse, to marrying into a very solid Catholic family, to having our own ministry to the church, to then me being compelled to share my story of being a victim of a priestly uh, abuse. It's hard to sometimes figure out how God has weaved together this life of mine. Yeah. Um, because yeah. if you watch Spotlight, there are no Catholics in there yeah. that, are, that are abuse victims. There are no Catholics in there who are fighting to make the church holy again. They're right. fighting to destroy the church. And so for a long time, I viewed myself as this oddball. Yeah. 
Where do I, where I, do I, I belong? There's anyone I don't else. want this thing to fall apart. Anybody yeah. else? Yeah. Right. Is there anyone else in the church that is uh, a victim of sexual abuse and still Catholic? Yeah. I wondered that for many years. Well, since I came forward with my story back in the beginning of January, I've started to meet some of those other faithful Catholics who said, I don't want to stay in this place of hate. Yeah. I don't want to, as I'm working through what happened to me and, and healing from it, I can't stay in anger, right? Money is not going to bring me happiness. Even justice is not going to bring me happiness. What's going to bring me peace is actually the Lord. Amen. And so I, I just want to pause there and kind of share a little bit because Alan volunteers with the youth program at our church, again, among many other things. And I, I think that, uh, your family ministry is a revolution of the new evangelization. You know, I believe that that's, that's absolutely amazing. Um, but you volunteer with our, with our youth program and you wrote this blog post that, that you released at uh, mid January about, is that right? I was on the epiphany. So right at the beginning. Yeah. At the beginning of January. Um, but beforehand you contacted me as, as the kind of the leader in the minist ministry that you're involved in. And you let me know about, Hey, this is what's what I'm going to share. This is why, and just kind of gave me a heads up. And as as someone who uh, who's involved in ministry, I think that that was absolutely beautiful. It was perfect in regards to, hey, this could end up kind of causing a little bit of a ripple or end up shocking some people or something like that. It's truth and it was told in charity, but I wanted to give you a heads up and I really appreciated that. And I think that that's something that, uh, that, that, that speaks to you, Alan, because every step along the way you modeled how a ministry leader should should move forward with with uh, with your story in this in this regard, um, and 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 I would even say wrestled with it because the story itself was on your heart. You shared with me um, for for some time, and and, and it was just kind of like the Holy Spirit kind of kind of nudge nudge nudge, and then it kind of really started burning in your heart. Like I have to do something, and so how did you? How did you figure out, because you've also got a website as well, and, and, and you're not just sharing your story, but you're trying to create a platform for others to have a voice as well. Is that fair to say? Yes. And so tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. So again, back in 2015, when Spotlight um, made the news, I watched it. And I, I had never really read about clerical abuse in the church. I just had experienced it. And so I watched that movie to kind of see how it would affect me. And after watching that, I said, wow, I need to share because, um, again, at the end of the movie, there were the phones that lit up. They published the report. They listed out the names of the abusers and their phones lit up at the newspaper. All these victims calling in and going, that happened to me too. Thank you so much for sharing this. I want to know that I was a victim too. And after that, I called my spiritual director and I said, oh, my gosh, I watched this movie. I think I need to share my story. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> let's just take a step back here. You have this family ministry. How is this going to impact that? Because I know you, Alan, and when you decide to do something, you're going to go full forward with it. I'm like, well, you're right. So I, I sort of let that ruminate for a while because there was nothing really going on in the church at that point. I didn't have to deal with it. The last time I had to deal with it was really back in 2002. Right? That was when it was headline news. Well, come around summer of 2018, and I can't get away from it. Yep. Right? As a faithful Catholic, and all of our friends are faithful Catholics, and we run a Catholic ministry, and we're involved heavily in our church. We live across the street from the church. It's not like we could go somewhere and get away from it. Yep. 
fact, my wife told me, and, and she's the one that really helps me understand how my decision to share this story and my decision to talk to anybody about it affects more than just me. And that's hard for me to understand because <laughs> I'm an individual, right? If I want to share about this, this happened to me. I should be able to share about it. But it affects so many people. But in 2018, when this happened, we couldn't get away from it. Like my wife would be upset whether we went to visit with our friends and they knew about me or if they didn't, because they would look at us and go, well, you guys are very involved in the church. What do you think about this clerical sexual abuse thing? Mm. And we just sit there and go, uh, and we, we talk about it a little bit, but it was hard because it felt like we were lying. Uh, yeah. Mm. Because here's our friends who we know very well and we share a lot with. They know about our oldest daughter and some of the health problems she's had. They know a lot about us. But that was one thing they didn't know. Yeah, right. And I mean, how do you share about something that intimate? Yeah. Right. It's I, I don't share it because I have this need for people to know that about me. I'm sharing it because God laid it on my heart and said, everybody's leaving the church. and They think that's the only thing to do. And they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And also there are a lot of victims. I know of at least two other victims by this same priest that abused me. Mm. Right. I was just on the phone with one of them before this interview, mm -hmm. right? Those people are hurting, and and I just – I know how hard it's been for me, and I want to give these other victims a voice in a sense. I want them to know that it's not their fault, yep. that their fears that somebody's going to find out this secret is just a fear. Yeah. Because that when they find that secret out, when you share that with somebody, you're actually breaking down a wall that your abuser built for you. Yeah. Right. Because you are scared to death. I mean, you know, talking to my, my friend just a few minutes ago, we talked about that. said almost exactly the same experience. And I honestly, I didn't know whether his experience was exactly the same as mine. But I said, you know, uh, intimacy with your spouse, intimacy with anyone is affected by this. Because as you start to get to know somebody better, they start sharing things that are more intimate about themselves. And this could be a husband and wife, or it could be just platonic friends. As you start to share more of your yourself, the person, person who's a victim of abuse, they get scared mm. because they're like, oh, now I, 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 feel, I feel obliged to share as much as this other person has shared with me about themselves. And you can't, so you just stop the relationship. Wow, right. And, yeah, right. and it's, it's damaging. Uh, so as I started to better understand the suffering that other survivors of, of abuse go through, I felt called to contact other people who may find them, right? I had to find them first. I don't know who all the faithful Catholics are who are also victims of clerical abuse, but I've met three of them who I've known for a long time in the last six months. Yeah. And I've known these people for a long time, and now they've shared with me that they were also victims of clerical sexual abuse. That's shocking to me. Wow. And for every one of them who thinks they're alone in the church, who thinks that if they said something that they would be ostracized from those who are fighting the church and say, how dare you, victim of sexual abuse, love your church. Mm. And then the other side, <laughs> which are the faithful Catholics, and they look at you with suspicion because they think you might actually hate the church and, and it, it's a strange thing. Uh, one of my fellow uh, abuse survivors shared with me that. He says that people on the right and left will both hate you. Yeah. Because you're saying you love the church and yet you were also a victim. 
Well, and then right. like, if you don't mind me asking the, I mean, this is one of those questions that comes up because very often people will say, and I, I, again, I'm not looking at any of the statistics or whatnot, but that those who abuse have been abused. And so then you're looked on with this suspicion of, oh, well, you've been abused. You might be an abuser. You know, and, and like, have you dealt with that? Like that, have you seen that or wrestled with that just yourself? Yes. Uh, I've, I've thought about it. Yeah. Uh, and it is very true that there, um, the statistics are there. Right. And I would say it's the person who has never received the healing. Yes. Amen. Because they're hurting and they need to hurt other people. Mm. Right. It's like, you want that shared pain. Mm. Uh, fortunately for me, I met this, this wonderful woman and her family was a very committed Catholic family. And as I've been going through therapy, I, I try, try to better understand myself, yeah. right? That's, that, that's, that's the goal of this, is to be able to look at the abuse that happened and say, that doesn't define me. Now, what effects did it have on me, and how can I get rid of them? Because if you can't name those effects, you can't get rid of yeah. them. Uh, it's, it's the same like, you know, in people who have gone through a divorce, you know, a, a child of divorce, right? They don't see all the effects that that divorce had on them, but if they recognize it, now they can go about fixing it. Yeah. It doesn't mean that their parents have to get back together for them to be a whole person. Mm-hmm. Just like I don't need for the abuse to somehow be undone for me to be a whole person. I just need to learn how to take that abuse and see it for what it was and not let it own me. Yeah. Uh, so one of the, so I, yeah. sorry, one of the things that I've been so afraid of with regards to how our church responds to this is people like you who, who are in ministry, who are loving the church, who have never committed anything of, of their own, but who were abused themselves. And then they're abused again by the church or by people in the church because of the way we treat them as yeah. lepers, as pariahs, you know, as, oh, well, you can never do ministry again because you were abused. Well, that's just more abuse piled on, on top of abuse. And I, I hate the thought of that happening. Um, either to, to yeah. lay people, to priests, anybody who's been abused and, and hasn't passed that on. You know, does that make sense? Yes, agreed. And and I'll, I'll say that that's kind of an extreme side of things, and I haven't experienced good. that. So that, that that's a good, good thing. But then I just made it public in January. <laughs> <laughs> um, but look at some of these safe environment programs um, that the church implements, and it's it's done in an effort to protect and, and it probably has some success to it. But a side effect of that is that it really makes it difficult for a victim of sexual abuse to minister in the church. Mm. Because that means that I have to go sit in a class where I'm going to hear about someone being groomed. Wow. And that can be very tough. I mean, traumatic I've even. dealt with it a lot. Yeah, traumatic even. I know some people that don't volunteer in the church who are victims of sexual abuse, and that's why they don't volunteer in the church, because there's this barrier that says, unless you come sit through this class, a background check is one thing. I can do a background check. I can even take a test online to prove that I understand safe environments, but that's not sufficient in many dioceses. Mm, right. um, they want you to sit in a class with a whole bunch of other people and listen to descriptions of people grooming and abusing children. Wow. Uh, and it varies greatly yeah. in exactly how that's carried out, but it's traumatic. Uh, my wife refuses to go to them now because she does not want to hear that anymore. Right. And and so we have to find another way to ensure safe environments without preventing people, again, to uh, treat them as a leper, right? Yeah. Saying, 
or make if them relive. want to serve, now you've got to go through and do this. Yeah, or make them relive that experience again that they've already worked through, you know, or are working through. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it, it's, I don't have a complete answer for it, yeah. but it, I, I could tell the few times that I've gone to these uh, um, safe environment trainings is that I can tell who were abuse victims mm. because they're the ones who are either over in a corner looking down at a book, trying to avoid the whole conversation, or they're crying, or they're very, very vocal, and there's no one there to help them. Wow. Yeah. Right. So that is definitely a, a, a problem that needs to be dealt with by ministry leaders, right? How, how, do we, how, do we, how do we provide a safe environment, and yet also a safe environment for those who have been the most wounded in the church? And it may not be from a cleric. Yeah. It might be just from a, a parent yeah. or a cousin or it's painful all the way around and not go right. to the extreme. Cause I've, I've heard this said, you know, where someone will stand up and say, if anybody in ministry has been abused, then they need to step down and quit. Wow. It's like, what? Like that's, that's just yeah. asinine. And, 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 and so I just wait for somebody to say that to me. Cause I'm not, I'm not a shy person. Uh, yeah. I want you to be in the <laughs> room. We, we there will be some fireworks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, well, we'd, Alan, have, we'd have a charitable discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Passionately charitable, yes. But uh, let, let me just, in regards to the whole of it, you have uh, approached this situation and you've dealt with it. And, and really, you've kind of put yourself in a situation where I believe you're an advocate, both for abuse victims and for the church. And that's a unique, unique position to be in. I believe that every ministry leader wants to be an advocate in the same way for, for abuse victims and also for the church. What would you say to someone who hasn't experienced uh, abuse at the hands of clergy, who wants to be an advocate in, in a variety of their programs, right? So someone leading a, a First Holy Communion class for second graders is going to be different than an adult RCA program leader or youth minister or whatever. Um, so what type of advice would you give to ministry leaders that are listening that want to be advocates to champion uh, hope and healing and the, the church, wholeness in the church as much as you are? Yeah, so I'll give you the same advice that I gave to my bishop. When I sat down with him and said, uh, I know you're a good man. I know you want to heal the people who are hurting. How can, how, what advice can I give you to help you do that? And I think that's, that's what you're asking for, is for a ministry leader who right. is many times the face of the church to this person who is coming. Now, first of all, you're not going to know, right? If, uh, here, are the, here are the statistics, by the way. So one in four women have been sexually abused by somebody. Right. That's 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 a CDC statistic. A conservative estimate is that one in six men have been abused by somebody mm. sexually abused. That's probably low because um, based on hard scientific evidence, men don't talk about it. In the mm. case of 100 men who have been sexually abused, documented by CPS, only 16 percent of the men will admit it. And all 100 percent were abused. Wow. Wow. Seven percent of the women will admit it. Right. So, so 70, 70% close to yeah, 70%. You see the difference between men and women. Men, right. it's like their minds won't even let them admit it in an anonymous survey. Yet all 100 were, okay. So that's, that, that's your number. So if you're looking out at your congregation or if you're looking at your class, 25% of the women and 12% of the men, right, have, have experienced some type of sexual abuse. So you're going to encounter them. Right. You look out at the youth group, you're going to encounter them. Uh, our pastor looks out at his congregation, which may have 1800 people. That's a lot of people. Right. And so 
what I, the advice I give is that um, you need to be compassionate. So a lot of times this hurts us, right? You might have a question come from somebody during uh, some type of a discussion and they ask a question, well, how do you feel about abuse, you know, sexual abuse in the church? And now you've got to say something. Well, be careful. Be careful what you say. I said, approach it from the perspective of a father or a mother who has a child that's been abused, mm -hmm. sexually abused by mm -hmm. someone. What links would you go to to help them heal? How would you speak to them? Right? I was afraid that my parents were going to blame me. I felt that way until I was 28. Right? It wasn't until that first counseling session where the lady finally, after six sessions, I was a little hard-headed, she got me to, she said, uh, what would your parents do if they found out? I said, they'd be mad. I said, who would they be mad at? I said, they'd be mad at me. And I honestly believed that. Wow. Right? So a victim of sexual abuse believes they did something wrong. Mm -hmm. And that if somebody found out what they did, they would think less of them. They would blame them just like that abuse victim blames themselves. So you have to understand kind of the mentality and what some of the signs are. Abuse victims typically, um, and I, I'm not an expert on this. I'm reading more books about it. I'm going through counseling. I'm trying to understand the problem better so that I can better minister to people, better have this book that I'm writing, help the victims help the laity and help church leaders to understand mm -hmm. how best to heal this body of Christ. But empathy is important. And today in our political culture and our social media, we have anything but empathy. When you see something come out, um, and I've seen this from people that I actually respect, <laughs> and yet their first response is to choose their side and attack the other. Mm -hmm. Yep. In the case of someone coming forward and saying, look, I'm, I'm a victim of sexual abuse, they're taking a huge huge risk in their minds there's no bigger risk they could take than to say hey <laughs> i was a victim <laughs> and then because they're worried somebody's going to go well why did it take you 30 years yeah it's been 30 years really i, th I think you're lying mm. <sighs> yep that it just kills somebody and it makes them further say i should have kept that wall up i should never have said anything and, right? and the if challenge is is it's not just keep a wall up protecting that information it's actually keep a wall up protecting themselves from intimacy with any other human Absolutely. like the, the ripple effects of this affect the way that they relate and and when you mention the numbers for the congregation if you're looking out at your congregation or the people that you serve if we can get those walls down a little bit we can foster a, a different style of discipleship and we can unlock some of the gifts that have been buried underneath the shame or the walls of fear that have been built up. Like this is not just a matter of healing, but this is also uh, can create a, a, a tidal wave of God's love in the world because those gifts are being really uh, kind of anchored to to something because of the ripple effect. And that's how, how sin and shame just work, you know, but, but the freedom in Jesus Christ and we need to make that pathway because you're right, it is such a risk. And so we need to make that pathway that the body of Christ is going to welcome that boldness, welcome that courage and help them heal. And no one heals alone. And so we're going to be there to be instruments of healing for them, you know, or with them. Right. And so a lot of times ministry leaders will, will have this one parent who's just angry. And you guys probably know this. A lot of your ministry leaders already know this, but behind every angry parent, there's some great hurt. And 
if you've just had the release of names of 300 priests who have abused, right, and you got somebody who is acting a little off that night, perhaps they were affected by that. I didn't realize how much I was affected by it until about 8 p.m. when I just went to bed. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just turning everything off. I'm done, right? I wasn't angry, but I've had a lot of healing, right? But so it's it's meeting that person who's hurting, who's expressing it in ways that may hurt you. <laughs> and instead of meeting them with the equal amount of force, <laughs> you say, it's okay. Let me let me let me respond with love and and compassion. And if the topic comes up in this particular area of sexual abuse, then I might know where that's coming from. So it is challenging because you never know where somebody's coming from as far as that angry outburst. But even when talking about this, right, be very cognizant that there might be an abuse victim that is listening. Even if I'm talking to someone else about this, there's somebody else listening sitting there and they're listening to you as a ministry leader of how the church is going to respond because that's maybe how they view you as you're the one who is speaking on behalf of the church. And I, and I want to acknowledge that there, there could be, for example, I work with youth. There could be a parent that's suffering in this way. Yes. And they, uh, they go ahead, their team comes home from their youth program. Hey, did you guys uh, pray for anything in particular? Did you guys talk about anything? Did you talk about the release of the names or anything like that? No, mom, we just did our normal youth night. Mm-hmm. And that, that parent could be shocked or disappointed, meaning that, that saying nothing could also be damaging. Um, and, and, and so then it's how do we say something? And how do we say something that's appropriate, that's age appropriate? Maybe for a second grade class, you know, you end with a Hail Mary. And one of our intentions is just for healing for all those who are suffering. And that's enough to kind of kind of cover it in an age-appropriate way. But for the high school students, you might be able to say something differently and, 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 and so forth. And obviously, for the abuse victims themselves, we have to lean way in and go ahead and have one-on-one conversation. And Alan, your point is well made as well that you said that this type of awareness of a clergy abuse could actually bring up some of those who have been abused in other ways as well. And it's okay that, that God would use this platform to bring healing to them as well. So we have to have an awareness of those people in our ministry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the Maria Goretti Network was started by a victim of clergy sexual abuse out of Katy, Texas. And it's for all survivors of sexual abuse, no matter what faith, no matter who abused them, because the healing from abuse is the same for everybody. Um, you may have some spiritual things to deal with if it's clergy sexual abuse, but you know when you're abused by a parent, uh, specifically a father, that that is your image of God. Right. When you're when you're little, yeah, that's your image of God. So you have spiritual repair to do, no matter what type of abuse it was. And yeah, it's it's important. It's very important. We we as a church, I think one of the worst effects of clergy sex abuse and how the Catholic Church has handled it is that um, we have this great gift to give to the world to heal from all of this sexual sin and sexual abuse that has happened within families. And the devil has figured out a way to silence our voice. Yep. Well, Alan, um, how can people find you um, in regards to if they want to kind of continue the conversation um, or to kind of hear about, I know that you're, you're creating a, a, a book and the, and the goal is threefold. Um, 
to you mentioned it earlier could you say it again oh, yeah. the three goals yeah yeah no it's to heal the victim their families and the church and awesome. the church being the laity and the leaders um, and so i created a website for the book called abuseoftrust.org and and that title just seems so appropriate because sexual abuse is an abuse of trust and it's particularly an abuse of trust when it comes from a member of the clergy because they almost get trust because they wear the collar, right? Right, Because they are, and the same goes for youth ministers, any minister of the church, because of the, the role that they have, have assumed within the church, we give them trust and we hope that they will not abuse it. And, and uh, everybody suffers the effects of that abuse of trust. And how can people find you personally? Is the website, theabuseoftrust.org, the best way to find you? Um, that's a great way. Our, our ministry to families is called Your Holy Family, and the website is yourholyfamily.org. And my contact information is out there. I'm, uh, I'm very easy to contact. So, <laughs> um, yeah, come out and find me. My email address is alan at yourholyfamily.com or alan at abusivetrust.org. Sorry. Yourholyfamily.org your or alan at abusivetrust.org. And just to make things easier, everybody knows that these, these will be in the show notes for sure. Perfect. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Alan, any, uh, any closing thoughts as we wrap up the, uh, the episode? So as uh, St. Teresa of Avila said, Christ has no hands on this earth but yours, no feet but yours. You are the words or something to that effect. You are God's hands, feet, words to the world. So use them wisely and know that to bring about that healing, you can do it. Whether you're a minister or just an individual within the church, those healing hands are so desperately needed in this world to heal all victims of sexual abuse. And to take it one step further, even if you're an abuse victim yourself, you yes. are still God's hands, God's heart, God's hope, in the world today. And so as we move forward, uh, you guys can find us uh, in the show notes, mlapodcast.com and other places. But uh, we want to just end our show encouraging you to take a moment to just pause and pray. Pray for pray for the victims, pray for uh, the church, uh, pray for the church leaders, and, uh, and pray for platforms of healing to be created, uh, much like Alan is creating with uh, abuseoftrust.org. Alan, Thank you so very much for being on our show today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alan. God bless you. God bless you. And yeah, and here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, you go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. So take this time this week to pray for those who uh, who have been abused. Pray for healing and be people of hope. We will see. And we'll see you next time at Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>